Hello. Welcome to the April 2019 edition of the podcast from the journal Addiction. My name's Susie Gage and I'm the social media editor for the journal. In this episode, I'm going to interview an author of a paper published in the April edition of the journal. Today I'm talking to Dr Andrew Jones, a colleague of mine in the addiction group at the University of Liverpool. Andy's just published a meta-analysis investigating compliance rates in ecological momentary assessment studies of substance use. We discuss what EMA studies are and the findings, implications and limitations of Andy's research. Hi, I'm Andy Jones and I'm a lecturer at the University of Liverpool. And the reason I've invited you onto the podcast this month is because you've got a paper out in the current issue of the journal, haven't you? have it's on um, compliance with ecological momentary assessment protocols in substance users so i guess first of all do you want to tell us a little bit about what um, ecological momentary assessment is yeah so ecological momentary assessment is just a collective name for a variety of techniques that allow you to measure whatever variable you're interested in the moment and in naturalistic settings so it's particularly useful in addiction where we know it's very difficult to model things like drug use in the laboratory so ideally what we want are real world estimates of um, how much people are drinking, whether they're smoking, whether they've relapsed, but also maybe the psychological variables that are related to this. So what, what would an ecological momentary assessment look like? How would you get to a participant in the moment? EMA studies have actually become a lot more common now simply because we are all carrying around computers in our pockets so the majority of AMA studies now use mobile um, mobile phones or similar devices to prompt participants to maybe fill in a questionnaire or tell us about their current mood state or maybe take part in a cognitive task and because that it's mobile we can follow them around we can choose strategic moments when to prompt them so maybe we're only interested in what participants are doing after 8 p.m at night um, obviously, the practicalities of getting participants into a lab after 8pm at night make it difficult, whereas if, if we can do it mobilely, it's a lot easier. But from the title of your um, paper, I guess there are potential issues here. If you're not there, sort of leaning over the participant and checking what they're doing, you do run this risk of a lack of compliance. Yep, and that was the, the general idea of the paper in... There doesn't seem to be any um, hard and fast rules or guidelines as to what is um, a good rate of compliance for EMA studies. And more um, specifically, what kind of um, protocol decisions an experimenter might make that might increase or decrease the uh, rate of compliance in a study. So we did a meta-analysis to examine some of these protocol decisions to see whether they influenced compliance rates across studies. And do you want to tell us a bit about what you found? Yeah, not much really. <laughs> so what we what it was what we were able to do was to identify a kind of overall rate of compliance over a large number of studies. So I think we identified 126 studies, which is quite a, a lot of studies. And this allowed us to look at the mean compliance rate, which was around 75%. So subjects are completing three in every four um, ecological momentary assessment kind of prompts that you give them. And this was slightly below um, what other fields have estimated as a kind of reasonable compliance rate of 80%. And this might be because uh, substance users might lead to more chaotic lifestyles. Um, and was there anything specific about sort of different types of study design or different, um, I don't know, anything like, were there any differences in what influenced the rate of compliances across different studies? 
So interestingly, we found that there was very little evidence for procedural factors influencing the rate of compliance. So we looked at things like the number of assessments per day, how long the overall assessment period was, was it a number of days or a number of weeks, um, what device was used to administer the assessment, so whether it was a mobile phone, um, a web browser or a PDA device. So none of these things seem to reliably influence um, compliance to the protocols. The only thing that did reliably influence compliance was um, individuals with substance dependence um, showed lower rates of compliance than um, recreational users. And kind of before EMA, how were these types of studies done or were they, were they just not possible at all? Um, it'd be very difficult to, to say really. Some EMA um, protocols are quite intensive, so you might want to prompt people four or five times per day over a two-week period. Without the EMA, you would have to get someone into a lab four or five times per day over a two-week period. Or the other alternative is to give them a paper and pencil diary. But we know that when participants respond using paper and pencil diaries, it's often unreliable. So participants will miss sessions or and then resort to things like backfilling and hoarding sessions. And then what you're not getting is in the moment assessment, you're getting uh, more retrospective recall. And you use EMA study designs yourself as well, don't you? So what are you personally taking away from your findings here in terms of thinking about your current and future research? So what we really need is um, a, a framework in how to adequately analyze and report compliance data in these studies. So there is frameworks that have been proposed for um, different fields, so things like dietary interventions and um, ch child and adolescent study using EMA, but there wasn't one specifically for addiction. So maybe we could use these frameworks as a starting point. And ideally, what we need to do is start reporting compliance better. So it's it's generally of secondary importance to individuals who have a research question, but poor compliance will reduce the statistical power of a study and the analyses you can do and the inferences you can draw from that data. Yeah, and I guess also the people who are and aren't complying could then influence um, how representative your sample is. For example, if you're saying that people with more heavy dependence might be less likely to comply, then this could skew findings potentially as well. Yeah, and some of the individual studies we looked at um, had the, these kind of hints in them in that one study was um, it showed that heavier drinkers had poor compliance in the morning, which might suggest hangovers and lack of willingness to pick up a mobile phone and start filling in questionnaires. Kind of fair enough, you can sort of understand that, but not great for researchers. <laughs> Are there any kind of key caveats or limitations about the study that you want to highlight listeners or readers for your, of your paper towards? Yes, yeah, so, so one thing is that even if you do a study and have good rates of compliance, good compliance is not equivalent to high quality data. So one of the studies we looked at in the meta-analysis was a study on crack, homeless crack cocaine addicts. And what they demonstrated was very reasonable compliance for what is a hard to reach um, sample. But actually when they looked further into the data, the, the, the quality of the data was pretty poor in that the addicts were often just press reporting whatever they wanted to end the session quickly. So compliance doesn't necessarily equal good quality data and this is something else we should take into account yeah absolutely it's very clear why that's important 
Dr. Andy Jones, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. And there we go. Thanks to Andy for his time and thanks for listening. This podcast comes out every month and we're planning to cover all sorts of topics relevant to the field of addiction, as well as highlighting key papers published in the journal. If there are topics or discussions you'd like us to tackle, please get in touch on Twitter or contacting the journal directly. We look forward to hearing from you. For now, please join us next month for more conversation, discussion and debate. Thanks for listening. Bye.